this week we are looking at the topic of Jesus as our saviour. So I think a good place to start is uh, why do we need a saviour? Because if he's come to save us from something, it's probably because we have a problem which we can't deal with ourselves. So I thought first let's look at it historically and look at how the Bible teaches that we need a saviour. And it starts back in Genesis 3. Um, God has made the world and he made it perfect, Genesis said. And it said he was very pleased with the world he made. But in Genesis 6, God says he is sorry that he made the world. So something has gone wrong and something has gone very wrong. Um, The story of Genesis um, is that God made Adam and Eve and put them in a garden. Um, And he blessed them and told them that they could eat from any fruit or tree of the garden they liked. But there was one tree they weren't to eat from. Um, And this wasn't because this was his favourite tree and he didn't want them to touch it. It was that he was giving them this law so that they had the choice to obey him or disobey him. So that by obeying him, they could show that they wanted to be in relationship with him and they wanted to have him as their God. Um, And uh, when Eve ate fruit from the tree, it wasn't because there wasn't a garden of fruit around her. It, it was because she was rebelling against God. Because of this, God says the relationship that they had with him before is over, and he banishes them from the garden to work the ground outside of it. And he places an angel with a flashing sword to keep them out of his presence and out of the garden, because they have sinned against him and he is holy. The question is, is this a sin issue that is uh, for them or will go to their children too. So um, we don't have to wait long till there's Cain and Abel who are the sons of um, Adam and Eve. Um, and they both offer sacrifices to God. Cain's sacrifice isn't accepted by God, but Abel's is, and this causes Cain to be jealous of his brother. Um, so in a fit of rage, he kills his brother, and we find out that not only has the issue of rebellion against God continued, but it's getting worse. And by the end of the chapter, we see that actually uh, Cain's grandson kills another man. And unlike Cain, who was ashamed of what he's done, this man actually sings a song about it. So the issue is not getting better, it's getting worse. And God has made his world to be perfect, and so is greatly saddened by the rebellion and pain that is caused by people sinning against him. Um, So he decides to deal with that. Um, And he speaks to a man named Noah and tells him he's going to flood the earth to get rid of the problem. And he's going to save Noah um, to carry on for creation. But um, the problem is that sin travels with Noah in the boat. And by Genesis 9, after Noah comes out of his ark, Um, He gets drunk, um, passes out naked, and his sons laugh at this, and one of them is cursed um, and is sent away, just as Cain was sent away before. So sin spreads through the whole world from Adam, and we're all affected by it. And the problem is, we can't stop it. It's something that's in us, and we can't do what's right, because we always do what's wrong. Uh, Sin is a deep problem because we're born with it. 
Um, you noticed this when you got younger brothers and sisters. <laughs> you know what's coming, Andrew. Um, I never noticed the day when mum and dad sat down with Andrew and said, um, we've not had the lying talk, Andrew. Um, mummy and daddy, we don't always tell the truth. And Dan and Tim, they probably rarely do. Um, but you, you're always telling the truth. So I want you to practice. What's this, Andrew? No, what is it? Yes! There you go, Andrew has learnt to lie. We've done the lying talk, and now Andrew is a sinner like the rest of us. <laughs> but no, we know that Andrew didn't have to be taught to sin, and that it came naturally to <laughs> Sorry, brother. <laughs> and God says that the problem is not uh, that we just hurt ourselves by sin, but we hurt others too. But worst of all, we offend God who has made us and has made us to be in relationship with him. Um, and the problem is we can't please God by being good and we can't please God by keeping his rules. Um, so a lot of us will look at the Bible and say, this half of the Bible here, the Old Testament, is rules about how we keep God happy. But Paul, in a letter to a guy named Timothy, said, actually, the whole of the Old Testament law is not to show people that they could be good, but to show them that they couldn't, and to tell them that they had a real problem and needed a saviour. Um, so, as an example, we could look at the Ten Commandments, which are, you shall have no other gods beside me, you shall not make an image of an idol and worship it, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, remember the Sabbath day, honour your father and mother. Um, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbour, and you shall not covet anything belonging to your neighbour. Uh, so you're not meant to look at that list of rules and think, well, first four, I think I've broken all of those because um, I've probably... Um, put things before God. Actually, I don't think I've actually made an image of an idol, so I'll give myself that one. Um, we might this. <laughs> um, I don't think I've taken... No, I've probably taken the name of the Lord of God in vain. Um, I've not always remembered for Sabbath as I should. Um, Honoured my father and mother. Um, I could ask, not a chance, okay? Um, I've not murdered anyone, and I've not... We'll come to that. <laughs> and I don't think I've committed adultery. Um. <laughs> I get myself in a hole here, yeah. Um, I've not... Stolen, well, I think, I think I did from, you know, those fountains with the pennies in them. <laughs> I was quite young at the time. Um, <laughs> and I, um, I've probably borne false witness against people um, and probably coveted them. But I've got one, so I'm all right with God. But that doesn't work, because if someone's up in court for being a thief, and they say, 
okay, I stole the car, but I didn't murder him, so can I go? Um, that's not going to rub with the judge. Um, if you've broken one of the laws, you're guilty of breaking the law, and there's a price to pay. The problem isn't that we've kept most of them, it's that we've not kept any of them, or we've not kept all of them until we're guilty. Actually, if you want to look at the Ten Commandments, we can see that Jesus uh, says about them, if you've um, been angry with someone, you're guilty of murder, and if you've lusted after someone, you're guilty of adultery. So we get got for all of them. Um, and it's explained uh, that if we put anything before God, we're guilty of idolatry. Um, the problem with this is God's told Adam and Eve that if they sinned against him, uh, there would be a price to pay, and that was death. Um, and because of their sin, death entered the world. Um, and this is why awful things happen in the world, because Adam ruined it for everyone by sinning. Uh, I don't think we can blame him totally, because we'd have probably done the same. Um, but because of this, uh, we all sin and we all die, and so we need a saviour. It's important to say that sin is not always, uh, I mean, death is not always the direct result of sin, in that um, bad things don't just happen to bad people. Um, so there's no judgment on people if they're going through pain. Um, it's, we're not to say that it's because they're particularly sinful. Uh, but our problem is more present than just that we've got a problem with sin and with death. Our problem is that we were made to live in relationship with God, and we're not going to be happy unless we are in relationship with God. Um, that is why we turn to so many other things for happiness. Um, we fill our lives with friends, with family, or with stuff um, like reading or watching TV. We naturally... Uh, want to praise something. Uh, that's why you get such big crowds at football games. We all want to be in a group praising something or someone. And if it's not God, we'll choose something or someone to praise. Um, but the Bible teaches that none of these things are big enough to fully satisfy us. Because we are made for a God who made the whole world and the whole universe. And to see someone kick score two goals and um, into Milan to win which is good um. <laughs> um, we'll make some of us happy for a while but not for very long because next year Man United will win <laughs> um, and it's not just that we're sinful and we hurt others and it's not just um, <coughs> that we offend God, but also others sin against us and we get hurt ourselves. Think about the story of Cain and Abel. Um, the Bible says the blood of Abel cried out from the ground for justice because Cain had murdered him. Um, and people get away with terrible things. So we need a saviour who can save us. Um, and bring us justice against those who do things against us. 
um, and people are left hurting by sin, but also bad things just happen, not because anyone has sinned, but because we live in a fallen world. So we need a saviour who will sort the world out and make it a better place and remove death and pain from the world. Um, but the final problem is that we're not just those who have sinned against and we don't just sin against other people, uh, but we've rebelled against God. We don't live according to his laws. We don't love him and we don't um, give him the place that he as creator God deserves in our lives. And so um, the Bible explains and Jesus explains that God is going to come and judge the world for sin. Um, Jesus explains that the flood in Genesis with Noah was just a picture of when he comes again to judge the world. Um, And there's nothing we can do about it to save ourselves because we've angered God and we can't save ourselves. So who can be the saviour? I've just ruined this next point, but um, can we save ourselves? Um, Well, if you were to ask Adam, can you save yourselves by doing good? He would say, no, I've sinned. I will never outweigh the bad I've done by doing good. Um, So you might say, okay, that's all right. That's not going to work. But maybe if God had a rule and you had to keep that rule. um, So that's not by doing good you're saved, but it's by keeping an arbitrary rule that God has made um, that you can be saved. So that's religion, that God has made a rule, and if we keep that rule, we get saved. But if you asked Adam that, he would probably, having just been kicked out of the garden for breaking God's one rule, think that religion wasn't going to save him as it hadn't worked before. Um, And can you be saved because... Um, people around you are good. Um, can you be saved because your parents are Christian or because your grandparents prayed for you? Well, no. Um, our sin is our own issue and we had to deal with it ourselves. Um, so we need someone who can take that away from us. So Adam and Eve were not to try and be good and they were not to try and obey God or look to someone else like them to save them. But God gave them a promise um, about someone who would come in the future who was like them, a child of theirs but different, who would um, fight on their behalf. They, they sinned because the serpent uh, lied to them about the fruit on the tree and said, if you eat this, you'll have something good but actually they got deaf. And God says, um, from your descendants will come one who will fight this snake and take away this problem of sin. It's because of him that sin came into the world. And so God says, I'm going to send someone who's going to fight him and take away this problem from you. That's why Eve says, when Cain is born, with the help of the Lord, I've brought forth a man She's already looking for that, and she looks for it in Cain, thinking maybe he's the one who's going to save us from this sin problem. But the problem with Cain is he crushes the wrong person. Instead of crushing the snake, he takes it out on his brother, and so he can't be the saviour, because he's got his own sin issues to deal with. 
of the next interesting guy in the line of Seth, um, who is um, Cain's younger brother and who God tells uh, Adam and Eve um, it's going to be one of his descendants, not Cain's descendants, who's going to save um, the world. Uh, one of his descendants is called Noah. And could he be for one? His father says when he's born, out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from the work of our hands and the painful toil of our hands. So he's saying that because um, there's sin in the world, our lives are hard and my son will be the one to sort that out. Um, But as we saw before, Though Noah was called righteous by God and though he was the one saved in the ark um, when God flooded the world, um, once he came out of the ark, he planted a vineyard, got drunk, and he wasn't the one. So we could skip a bit and we come to Abram. And Abram's told by God, out of you will the nations of the world be blessed. So it could be him. But... Uh, towards the end of his life, he's told, actually, it's not going to be through you. It's going to be from your son that all the nations of the world are blessed. So his son is Isaac, but it's not him either, and it's not his son Jacob. In fact, we could go through the whole of the Old Testament looking at people it might be. It could be Moses, it could be Joshua, it could be Samuel, it could be the first king of Israel, Saul. But it's none of those. They all have issues with sin and they can't save the people from their sin. Uh, Could it be David? He's called a man after God's own heart. He stood up and saved Israel just as a boy against the giant Goliath, Um, and he is eventually made king. And God tells him, "Um, you won't build me a temple because I'm going to build your house, and your descendants shall rule on the throne forever. Um, So could it be David? But he too fails, and he in the end writes some, saying, Have mercy on me, God, uh, because I've done sin. Block out my sin, because I can't save myself. He's as lost as anyone else. He can't save the world. So it's going to be one of his descendants who does. Um, In the meantime, God gives um, a picture of how he will save in the sacrificial system. In fact, every year they would offer sacrifices of um, lambs and goats at the temple to take away their sin. The sin of the people would be laid on this animal that would be, take, uh, would be killed instead of them. And another animal which would be taken away, showing a picture that God must judge sin, but also God wants to remove our sin from us. Um, but Let's not go through the whole of the Old Testament looking at who it isn't. Um, The New Testament um, says that this saviour is going to be Jesus. Um, So it would be good to look at, does he qualify as the saviour or is he just like the rest? Um, Well, he's he's got the right ancestors. He's in the line of Seth and of Abraham and of David. So those are all the people that the saviour had to be descended from and he is Um, the next question is is he the son of God because this saviour had to be like us but different, free from sin and the um, 
um, Old Testament told us that he would be different because he was God's son. Um, so we could look at some witnesses. First, it'd be good to see what God says about this. So when Jesus is baptized, there's a voice comes from heaven and says to him, you are my beloved son, with you I'm well pleased. And that's uh, recorded in three of the four Gospels. So it's a fairly reliable thing. Um, later on in Jesus' life, he goes up a mountain and um, meets with Moses and Elijah there. And God appears in a cloud and says, this is my beloved son, listen to him. So God is convinced that it's his son. Um, and then we look at Jesus himself. I mean, if he didn't claim to be God's son, then he probably wouldn't be. But he does. He says um, when he's just 12 and taken to the temple, um, his parents leave and he's left there three days and they don't know where he is. When they come back to find him, he says, um, why were you looking for me? Did you not know I must be in my father's house? He claims to have a special relationship with God that makes him his father in a way that others aren't. And through his life, in many times, he calls God his father, so claiming to be God. Other proofs that he's God uh, um, found in John, who says he's the creator, as does Colossians. Um, another question is, is he free from sin? Because the other saviors all failed because they had issues with sin. Um, what well, Jesus is able to say, which of you can convict me of sin? Um, and these are his enemies he says it to. So if they had seen anything he did that was wrong, they'd have pounced on that. And when Jesus is brought before Pilate, he says, I can find no guilt in this man. And the chief priests, when they're trying to accuse him, even though they make testimony up against him that is false, they can't stick anything on him because he has lived a sinless life. Um, and does he do what a saviour should do? Um, well, John the Baptist, um, who came before him, um, was put in prison and he sends messages to Jesus saying, are you the saviour or should we expect someone else? And Jesus sends this message back to him. Um, Go tell John uh, what you hear and see. For blind have received their sight, for lame walk, for lepers are cleansed, for deaf hear and the dead are raised up, for poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is one who is not offended by me. Those are all promises of what the Saviour would do when he came, given in the Old Testament. Another test would be, does he do what only God could do? Because if he's got to be God, he should have the ability to do what only God can do. Well, the Gospels are very clear on this. Um, he forgives sins in Mark, and he calms the storm so that the sailors who are with him are terrified because they've never seen anything like this. And the Bible teaches that only God has power over the weather. And through the whole of the Gospels, we see many great things that he does that only God could have done. Um, and people are convinced that he's the saviour. Uh, those around him, uh, Peter says, you are for Christ. Um, and for Christ was for one who is going to come to save. But what does it mean to be saviour? 
what did it entail for him and what did that um, mean in how he lived his life? Because although many believed Jesus was the saviour of the world, and though the Bible clearly stated that he is, um, we see that many at the time also rejected him, and many had wrong views of who he was. Some thought he was demon-possessed, others thought he was mad. Some thought that he was just a sinful liar, others thought that he might be a prophet or a good teacher. Some thought that he was even Moses or John the Baptist brought back from the dead. Uh, his disciples, some of them even thought he was the Christ, but they had wrong views of what this meant. They thought this meant he was going to come with a great army and beat the Romans out of Jerusalem. The reason these people were all wrong was they didn't understand the signs that God had given in their Bible. Um, Jesus tells them off for this, saying, you can read for weather. If you see what the clouds are like the night before, you can say it's going to be sunny the next day. But I've given you this word about who I'm going to send, and you can't even read that. Um, you're not experts on the weather, but you should be experts on the law. But thankfully, the Old Testament is very clear. If we read it and look, we'll see that Jesus is the one who is going to save the world. Um, so I want to look at two passages, and this work is a bit risky, um, because I could never work out how I was going to read this. Uh, the first is Isaiah 53. If you have a Bible, you can turn to that. I should have printed this off. Uh, this is a passage about the Saviour who is going to come. Um, it says, um, He grew up before him, that's God, like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. So this Saviour who is going to come is going to grow up before God from a young age. And Luke's Gospel teaches, tells us that Jesus grew in favour with both God and man. So he grew up before God, as is prophesied. Um, it, he also says he would have no form of majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. So he's not going to be a great king. He was going to be a normal person. And Jesus was born the son of a carpenter and grew up doing normal jobs like anyone else. Uh, the passage goes on. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And from one who men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our grief and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken by God and smitten by God and afflicted. Um, so he would be someone who was despised and throughout the Gospels, if we look uh, at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, um, Jesus is always running into fights with the Pharisees. Um, and they despise him, they hate him for who he is, because he claims to be God. And because um, they're jealous of him, because the people are following him. But they also despise him because of his parenthood, because he was 
born to a virgin, they actually say he was born as an uh, illegitimate child, and so they despise him for that. Um, and for people who followed him, in the end all turn away and reject him. He had great crowds of thousands come and listen to him, but he soon finds out they've only come because he gives them food. And when they hear his teaching, they all go away and say, who can listen to this? It's a hard teaching. Um, and he was a man of sorrow. Uh, John's Gospel tells about how at the grave of a friend of his, he wept. Um, by the time of his death, his mother was a widow. Um, so he lost his father. He was acquainted with what it was like. He knew what it was like to uh, have sorrow in his life, to know grief and to feel pain. Um, but Isaiah goes on. Um, he was wounded for our transgressions and he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and with his stripes we're healed. We like sheep have gone astray and we turn to each one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Um, so he was um, to be punished instead of our sin. Um, smitten by God, though he had done nothing wrong, so that those who would come after him um, could know peace with God. He goes on, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that was led to slaughter and like sheep that was before its shearers is silent. He opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who, who can consider them? For he was cut off from the land of the living and was stricken uh, for the transformation of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. So what it's saying is that um, he wouldn't have any children because he would be killed and he would be buried with the rich. Well, if we look at the account of what happened to him, um, he is uh, buried in a rich man's tomb. So Isaiah, speaking hundreds of years before Jesus is born, accurately portrays what would happen to him. Um, but if we go to another passage, and Psalm 22, um, we get a more accurate picture of actually what Jesus went through um, to fight on our behalf. Uh, Psalm 22 reads, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from me, saving me? From the words of my groaning, O oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. You are holy enthroned in the praise of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm, not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by people. All who see me mock me, they make mouths at me and wag their heads. He trusted in God, they say, let him deliver them. 
Let him rescue him if he delights in him. Um, yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust at my mother's breasts. On you I was cast from my birth, and from you, from my mother's womb, you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Basham surround me. They open wide their mouths at me, and like a raving and roaring lion, I am poured out like water, and my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the jaws of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. The dogs encompass me, the company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among me. And for my clothing, they cast lots. Uh, this is David writing about what is happening to him. He, I imagine, had no idea what he was pointing forward to in that Jesus on the cross. Um, sorry, I'm... Um, firsts. Um, so as David said, um, my strength is dried up like a potsherd, my tongue sticks to the jaws of my mouth, and you lay me in the dust of death. Jesus at his death said, I first. Um, and Jesus on the cross is surrounded by dogs. Um, it's a subtle reference, but for Jews, referred to the Romans as Gentile dogs and he is surrounded by the Romans who crucify him and this passage says he would be surrounded by criminals and he is crucified with a thief on his right and a thief on his left and they would pierce his hands and his feet and that is exactly what they did to him uh, even down to the dividing of his clothes and the fact that those who came past all mocked him. And for chief priests and uh, teachers of the law who should have known who he was came and said to him, if you're God's son, cry to him and let him deliver you if he delights in you. Which is exactly what this psalm said they would say. <coughs> But the hardest lines from the psalm and the hardest lines of what Jesus went from the cross was when he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? From the words of my groaning. And Jesus on the cross echoed those words, saying, God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from me? And that is because he is taking for anger at God against sin. All the anger God had that his perfect world was destroyed and made rotten by us disobeying him for things we do against each other, but for rebellion we have against him is poured out on Jesus, God's son, for us, so that, as the Isaiah passage said, we wouldn't have to bear it. And so Jesus 
is uh, tormented for our sake on the cross, knowing that God, who, who was always in perfect relationship with in heaven, um, was now turning against him in anger and had turned his back on him. As, um, as the relationship with Adam and Eve was broken, so it was with Jesus, but far worse. But um, it doesn't end there. I didn't read all of the Isaiah passage. Isaiah goes on to say, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him, it was, and he has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring, and he shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand, and out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. And his knowledge, and by his knowledge, uh, the righteous one, my servant, uh, shall make many to be accounted righteous and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide spoil with the strong, because he has poured out his soul to death, and because he was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Um, so what God says in this passage is that because Jesus has done this, because he took up our sin on our behalf, so that we wouldn't have to pay for price. Um, God's actually going to vindicate him, to prove him right in raising him from the dead. And he's actually going to show him in this deed uh, that he's going to have many offspring. Though he wasn't on earth, um, and though he was put to death, he would have many people saved by him. And if we look at Mark, we see this. We see, even as Jesus dies, the soldier beneath the cross looks at him and says, surely this was the Son of God. So even in this act, we see that God's word is fulfilled in that he said that by doing this, he would see people saved and the soldier is saved and sees that he is God. But then he is raised from the dead. If Jesus wasn't raised, he couldn't be the saviour because... God's saviour had to be proved right by God. In fact, he couldn't just die. He would have to be raised to rule. And so Jesus is raised from the dead and um, is glorified into heaven to rule. Don't need that one. But then we had to ask... Um, why did he come to save? Um, he went through so much to save his people and save for himself a people. Um, why would he do that? Why would he value so highly um, sinners who had rebelled against him? Uh, we're often told that an object's worth <laughs> is defined by the amount of money someone will pay for it. Thank you. Um, so if Jesus was willing to give his life for us, that must mean he's put a lot of value in um, us as a people. And he must hold us very dearly.
but what is his plan for us? Is it... Um, Is it a good plan, or is it a plan just for his own good? Um, you get some strange teaching about this. Some people say Jesus came to save us um, because he wanted to show that he was a good and loving God. So he came to save us, not because he wanted us, but because he wanted to look great himself. And some people will say that, but that can't be right. That's not true love. Well, the Bible gives the answers to why he came. Um, and you'll probably know this one. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Uh, Jesus came as our saviour because he loves us and he loves the world. He doesn't want to see us live in rebellion against him and he doesn't want to, us to perish because we are in rebellion against him. Um, and he comes to save us because he chose us. Colossians 3 verse 12 said he chose us as, um, and made us holy and loves us dearly. Thessalonians says the same, that we're loved and chosen by God. And Peter says we're precious to him. So the wonderful truth is that Jesus comes to save us and goes through a life of suffering on earth and then a terrible death because he loves us and because he wants us to be in relationship with him and he wants us to know him. Um, when Adam and Eve f sinned, their relationship with God was broken. In Jesus, that relationship was restored and he sends his spirit to dwell inside of us so that we can know God. Um, one of the early church fathers said this, because God made us for himself, our hearts are restless until they find our rest in him. We're made for a relationship with God, and Jesus is saving us back to this relationship with him um, because he made us for himself, and he made us to enjoy him, and he wants to enjoy knowing us. Um, and so um, we're saved to be sons and daughters of God. We're not saved to be slaves. Um, as sons and daughters of God, um, we have an um, inheritance in heaven that we were singing about earlier, that we're not going to sweep the floors of heaven, uh, but we're going to enjoy it, and we're going to be given a mansion, and we're going to enjoy a feast, and we're going to see Jesus, and we're going to be there with each other in the great eternal party. Um, but also... That applies to us now, in that we're God's sons, dearly loved now. And we're God's daughters, for who he dearly loves now. Um, so when we pray, we don't have to come to God as servants or slaves, thinking, will he give me a good, or will he just say, why haven't you done my work? Um, but we can come as God's children and say to him, um, what is on our hearts and what we want. We have that relationship with God and he will give us good things. And Jesus saves us to righteousness. Uh, because we're saved in Jesus, for Bible teachers, we're joined to Jesus in that um, as he shared in our sin on the cross and paid for a price for it there, so we get to share in his righteousness. 
and that he is holy and never disobeyed God. And we get to benefit from that in that when God sees us, he doesn't see us in our sin, but he sees us clothed in Jesus' righteousness. So we always have acceptance before the Father. And Jesus saves us from the power of sin. Paul teaches in the book of Romans that we're dead to sin if we're saved to Jesus. Before we were dead to God, in fact, we couldn't have relationship with him. And we were alive to sin. But now that's been swapped around. And we are alive to God and dead to sin. Uh, and this is through the power of his Holy Spirit who he gives to us. Um, so if there is sin in your life that you hate and you want to see it changed, um, God offers you a saviour who will give you power to fight that. And he accepts you as his son because he died for you. And Jesus saves us then from the condemnation of sin. Romans 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God did what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness, likeness of sinful flesh. Um, he condemned sin in the flesh. <laughs> so what happened when Jesus came was he, um, he took... Um, our weakness. He was God. He had no weakness, but he became a human and he felt what it was like to be human and to be tempted by sin. But he didn't sin and so he beat sin. And so he beat the enemy of Genesis 3, the snake who had caused Adam and Eve to sin. And so he's the one who can take away any condemnation that comes to us because in him we have that perfect life. And Jesus saves us to a hope of heaven, um, not to the hope of heaven that um, you may have had as a child, and I certainly did, of endless decade upon decade of boredom and harps, um, <laughs> but a real heaven that we, we're just singing about, and I don't need to repeat that. Um, so um, how does this apply to us? Well, Jesus is the answer to all your problems. If you have something that you feel is too big for you and you need saving from it, Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the answer to sin. In fact, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And sin blocks you from the Father. But through me, you can come to him whenever you want to. And if, if we confess our sin to him, he'll forgive it because he's faithful and just. And because he has paid the price, we are free in him to come to the Father whenever we want. So he's the answer to sin. Um, he's the answer to why we live. If we don't have him as our everything, if we don't have God as our everything, we'll live for silly things like um, partying or experience um, the next world cruise or whatever. Um, I don't know why I said that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, it'll be. Yeah, so you're going on t holiday to real this year. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
Okay, uh, Jesus' answer to life after death, um, that if we um, fear what will happen to us in life, we can trust him with everything, and that um, he has died <laughs> to save us, and um, he won't now let us go. And Jesus' answer to pain and suffering, because as our saviour, he cares for us. But Jesus isn't just the saviour for us. He's the saviour for the whole world. Um, and so he calls us to live our lives for him. Uh, Jesus came from heaven to earth to save us and went from the earth to the cross to pay the price for our sin. He now reigns in heaven praying for us. Um, and one day he will come again to bring us home. He loves us so, so much. Um, and we see that in what he has done for us. We have nothing to fear from him and nothing to fear from life because he is almighty God and he will keep us. Um, no hope is, for, is better than the hope of seeing him one day. So we should live our lives to tell others about what he has done for us and to just enjoy being his children. And I did have a better ending, but... <laughs> Okay, yeah, what do you want to do now?